want to share with you today uh, and what I think is a very, very interesting topic. And, and it, it's entitled, Where is the Promise of His Coming? Where is the Promise of His Coming? And the text is, is from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where it says, first slide, please, uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This, this sermon began for me about 70 years ago. Um, I'm 69 years old. Uh, so, uh, needless to say, it, it began in 1948 when I was still in my mother's womb. Uh, but something very, very important happened that day. In 1948, Israel became a nation. And, and what that did was fulfill the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 about the dry bones. You remember the prophet went into the desert and the Lord showed him a, a valley and it was full of dry bones. And the Lord prof said, prophesy to the bones and have them come together. And he did. And bone came together. And then sinew began to form on the bones. And pretty soon, uh, these were bodies instead of bones. And then the Lord said, prophesy to the wind. And say, wind, breathe into these men life. And he said, all of a sudden, this was an army standing on their feet. You see, up until 1948, prophecy was crawling along. Crawling along. There were prophecies being fulfilled, but moving very slowly. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything changed. Israel was once again a nation. Bible scholars who had, who had looked at all the pro prophetic word about Israel had, had said, well, what do we do with this? Well, I guess it has to apply to the church because there's no Israel. And somehow, somehow, by and large, we, we missed a lot of what was happening in God's prophetic time. And so in 1948, Israel became a nation. The year I graduated from high school in 1967, Israel had Jerusalem once again in its hands. And prophecy was being fulfilled. In 1974, when I was in Bible college, I preached a sermon in chapel called Emergency. My text was from Joel chapter 3 and verse 14 where it says multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And then when I left Bible college, I uh, came uh, to be a youth pastor and, and I found out that uh, the youth in my youth group really didn't want to hear about that. 
because they had things to do. They had uh, girls to date and boys to marry. And, and, you know, they had a future. And, and, and they, they kind of said, Pastor, we're fine just like we are. We, we like this. God's good. Everything looks good. And, 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 and I thought that that would kind of pass away when I began to work with uh, more mature people. But I found out that the 40-something crowd, well, they said, well, we've got kids, and they're growing up, and, and one of these days they're going to get married and have, and we're going to have grandkids, and they're going to move out of the house, and, 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 and we're going to be able to start living again. Uh, and no thanks, Pastor. We're really not interested in hearing about the coming of the Lord because we, we kind of like the things the way they are. Now, for those of you younger folks, you might think that all of us geezers running around here with white hair, uh, well, we might have a different idea. But you know, it's really not so because older folks have got grandkids and and we want to see our grandkids grow up and get married and have families and 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 we want to enjoy our retirement and and you know so often the church by and large isn't really interested in thinking about the coming of the lord now peter was writing to people who were being persecuted Pastor Joe has shared with you that uh, they, were, they were being burned as lights in Nero's garden. They were being crucified. They were, they were being tormented. And, and, and they were looking for an escape. Uh, but it's not so with us. The persecution that's happening around the world, by the way, there's more persecution now than there's ever been in the history of of the world for Christians. Wow. But it doesn't touch us. And we don't think too much about it. And if we do think about it, we pass that off pretty quickly and we say, God is good to me. I'm I'm, I'm doing good. Now, one of my favorite translations is the Berkeley translation. And uh, it's pretty obscure. You wouldn't be surprised, would you, to think that me, that I would have a favorite translation of the scripture that's very obscure. But I do. And uh, uh, one of the things that Garrett Verkel uh, translated, this, uh, this idea of slowness for his return and the slowness of his promise to come to fruition, he used the word lackadaisy. And he said, uh, God is not lackadaisical as some men count lackadaisy. Um, well, they changed that as they revised it in the New Berkeley translation to dawdling in 1959. And, and then again in 1969, it was further revised to read negligent. But I think lackadaisy was the right word. Because you see, lackadaisy means indifference weariness. And, and there were some people who said, look, God's just lackadaisical. He's not, 
He's not really interested in your plight. He's negligent. He's slow. But these were called scoffers. And Peter said, don't listen to them. Let's look at the chapter, Second Peter, chapter number 3. Second Peter 3. <clears throat> this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth now exist, that now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, or not lackadaisical, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And skipping down to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is Peter's final statement to his people. Peter is soon to die. Legend has it he's crucified upside down on a Roman cross. Peter's last words to his people was this chapter in his last letter. It's important. Peter calls us to remember to remember two specific things. First, the predictions of the Old Testament prophets. And, you know, 
those those predictions of of the prophets uh, well, we have a wonderful thing called the internet, and uh, it, it's pretty easy to pull up all those predictions and so I've done that, and I, I want to just let you know what the prophets said just quickly. Joel, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Isaiah says, Wail. For the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Ezekiel says, For the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a day, a time of doom for the nations. Amos says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Zephaniah says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Zechariah says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations when he fights on the day of battle. Does that sound like lackadaisy to you? Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, he's not lackadaisical. He's very, very serious. And and the prophets said over and over and over again, not just, not just one obscure passage, but all of the prophets foretold a day of his reckoning. And then the New Testament, the New Testament adds new revelation. You see, in the New Testament we find that the day is not just a particular day or event, but it's a time. It's a seven-year period. It begins when, when God pulls his church out of the world 
And then the, what we call the great tribulation takes place. It's, a, it's this day of darkness, this day of doom. And, and then at the end of that time, the, the second coming of Jesus and finally the, the, the great judgment that takes place. Uh, and, and what Jesus says is, stay awake. A couple slides down, please. He says, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Know this, that the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Corinthians says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. And in Thessalonians, Paul says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so we find that Peter says two things. Remember the judgment and then remember the reward. You see, it's not all judgment. There is reward for those who serve the Lord. And it's on that day that that reward comes. And, and, then, and then Peter says, and, and remember the commandment of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. And along with the great commandment comes the great commission. Go ye into all the world. Disciple the nations. Disciple the nations. You see, we remember two aspects of the day. Judgment for those who rebel and reward for those who respond to his command to love and disciple the nations. And so when we remember, we are convinced that God is serious about the day of the Lord. And it's not something we should take lightly. It's not something we should be lackadaisical about. It's important. But after his, his call to remember, he has a call to reconsider. And he begins by calling attention to God as creator. And he says, first of all, that God created the heavens and the earth. Well, think about that. When he created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that all the earth was covered with water. And he did something special. He spoke, and the waters divided. And some of the waters stayed on the earth and formed the seas, the oceans, and dry land appeared. And some of the waters 
became the firmament, the atmosphere. He divided the waters, and then animals and people could live on the dry land. But Peter goes on to say that as we consider what happened, we find that, that he reversed that process in Genesis chapter 7 because the people of the earth had been so wicked. And because they were so wicked, he reversed that process and the waters in the atmosphere and in the deep converged on the earth and there was a flood and it killed everyone except eight persons. God started it again. And, and, and he told Jeremiah, he says, I'm the potter and you're the clay. And, and he showed him a potter's wheel and he said, I can do as I want and, and I can form man as I want to and he said, you need to be willing to be formed. And Peter refers to these well-known facts. And then he says this. He's, he talks about a thousand years in your sight is but yesterday when it is past. And a watch in the night. That's Psalm 90 verse 4. And he explains that. And he notes that God created time. Now think about that. Time. We are all in time, aren't we? We're bound by time. We live our lives on 24-hour days, 365 and a fourth days a year. Why? Because God created the sun and he created the earth that rotates around the sun. And it takes 24 hours to make that trek. And that's time. And, and without that, there is no time. So God, who is not in time, created time for us to live in. And we live in that time. Let me explain it this way. Have you ever made a diorama? A diorama. It's a, it's a shoebox. And, and, and you take and you put in the shoebox the characters from a story and, and you, can, you can look in that and get a kind of a, a, a photograph of time and space inside that shoebox. When I was a kid, I, I, I read, uh, well, I was supposed to read. I don't think I ever read it, but I, I was supposed to read Great Expectations. <laughs> and, and, and I made a diorama of the uh, the little guy in Great Expectations. But, so I'd like to explain this whole thing about time to you uh, by using the illustration of a diorama. Okay, so in front of you, you got this shoebox, right? Got this shoebox. And on the far left side of the shoebox, you have creation. And time begins there, Okay. And right there is Adam and Eve. They're on the left-hand side. And about an inch past that is Noah and the flood. Okay? And, and, and a little ways past that is uh, 
uh, is, is Samuel and the judges. And, and then there's David and the kings. And, and after David and the kings, there, the, there are the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. They're there. And then a little ways past that, you have the birth of Jesus. Okay? And then a little ways past that, you've, you've got the disciples. And, and then you have Martin Luther and the Reformation. And someplace near the end of the box, you have the year 2018. And this is time. Okay? Now, is God in the box? No. We're in the box. Jesus enters into the box for a while, and then he goes out. Everyone who has died has gone out of the box. They are in God's realm with no time. It's eternity. Okay? To be absent with, from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have... This, this diorama, I want to point out to you something, that history is linear. It's going someplace. Okay? There is an end point. There is a place in time when, when this day of the Lord is coming and, and it is a, uh, a, a great change. It's a great change. Now, some might say, well, I like time. And, and, and I'm pretty satisfied right here in the box. Things are good. Life is good. But you see, there's no choice. <laughs> History's linear. It's going someplace. And there comes a point in time when God is going to call a screeching halt. He is not going to allow his people who are persecuted to continue to endure persecution forever and ever and ever. He's going to stop that. You've heard the song say, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the roll is called up yonder. I'll be there. I'll be there. Now, you see, the last thing that Peter says for us to consider is that everything in the box is reserved for fire. And, and there's coming a time when everything in the box is going to be burned up. First, he's going to remove everything that's good from the box. Everything that's good, everything that's good. That means every person who served him throughout all of time. That means those who are alive at that particular moment, he's going to take them out. It's called the rapture of the church. And after he takes them out, Fire. Everything in the box is destroyed. Everybody take a deep breath and get your heart back. Everything in the box is destroyed. 
There's no gray area. There's no, gee, I like it like it is. I'd kind of like to stay here because it's going away. But you see, the good part is uh, th- the same God who, who created all of the good stuff that we enjoy is the one who is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Amos says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and with all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild their ruined cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. In Revelation it says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. You see, Peter exhorts us not only to remember, but to reconsider. Think it through, he says. Rest in the ultimate victory of our great God, who called us more than conquerors through him who loved us. The scripture says that in that day they won't need the Son, because the, the Lord will be the light in that city. And there'll be no night there. It's only day. And it's good. And so what does Peter conclude? He concludes that we need 
not only to reconsider, but but we need uh, uh, to recommit, to recommit. He says, remember the prophets? They predicted the final reckoning. Remember that Jesus encouraged us to watch and look for his coming. Reconsider that Jesus controls the waters of all nature. Reconsiders that he controls time. And then recommit to be faithful, to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He calls us to recommit to abide in Jesus. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and I'll, and I'll create it for you, he says. He tells us in Ephesians that he has given us the armor of God that we can overcome, that we can fight the battle, and, and best of all, we win. We win. I've read the end of the book. We win. Hallelujah. And finally, Peter calls us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He calls us to grow in Christ. And folks, there, there's a phenomenon in today's world that, that, that is very disturbing. Churches often are a mile wide and an inch deep. Lots of folks, but no depth of soil. They haven't, they, they, they really don't understand their faith. And, and when and if, and I believe it's more when than if, times of, of difficulty come, we need to be ready. We, we need to be ready so that if persecution comes, we can stand in that day. And here at Byesville, we have always been dedicated to, uh, to growing in Christ. Uh, back when I was here the first time, that was our motto. It was on all of our pens. Uh, maybe, Christian, you have some of those old pens. I don't know. But, it, but on it, it's written, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Second Peter 3.18. Byesville Assembly of God. You see, our pastor doesn't just share fluff on Sunday mornings. Our pastor teaches and preaches the Word of God. He trains us. He helps us to grow in the Lord. On Wednesday evenings, we have opportunity to grow in the Lord, to, uh, to study the Word of God. Our vacation Bible school and other special programs help our kids to grow in the Lord. And, and our pathways to growth, our most recent addition, is a time when we can, we can grow in the Lord. And, 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 it's, and it's good time. Why this emphasis? Why this emphasis on growing in the Lord? Because history is moving very, very quickly. There are more prophecies fulfilled every day. I mean more than have been fulfilled in the past decades. There's more people being persecuted today in our world today than ever before in the history of the world. 
we in America have been blessed. We have, we have escaped that persecution by and large. And, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to say, look, folks, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. And, and you know, I, I found out when, when, when I became a chaplain in the United States Army, you know, some people pointed out I may be in a, in, in a war zone. I may be getting shot at. Uh, okay. But you know what? The safest place in the world is in the, is in the very will of God. And if he sends us into a battle zone, so be it. We're safe in him. We know Jesus. And, and so, folks, I, I just want you to be ready. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure that we're going to be in a war with bullets and bombs, I, but I think we're already in a war for our souls. And Satan is doing everything he can to hold people away. You see, in the 21st century, there are two ways to give in to persecution. One is simply acquiesce, to deny Christ, and the persecution will go away. But something much more subtle is to stoop to their methods, to stoop to their methods, to lie, to, uh, to cheat. Don't do that. Peter addresses Christians just like us. People who have presented themselves to Christ for service. And he calls them to renew their commitment based on the state of their world. And I'm asking you, will you recommit? Will you recommit? Complacency is one of the greatest threats to the 21st century church. Lackadaisy sitting in our pews, ho-hum. Oh, well, it doesn't touch me. And Peter calls us to refuse to compromise, refuse to give in to worldly values. Because you see, that's the first step in denying our faith in Christ. Constancy is the greatest opportunity of the 21st century church. We are called to be overcomers, to abide in His love. To escape the fiery judgment, we simply need to believe and abide. Perhaps you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not ready. I haven't asked Jesus to be my Savior. I don't know for sure that I'm His child. And if that's the case, that's bad news. But the good news is, it's not too late. The good news is, all we have to do in order to secure our future when, when that day comes, when God calls for His own. And oh, by the way, uh, it comes in two ways. You see, the coming of the day of the Lord may come 
tomorrow or the next day. But for many, it comes earlier than that when they die. Because when we die, we leave the box. We're in the presence of God. I call it realized eschatology. <laughs> and so all of the warnings throughout all the ages, when he says, watch, don't get caught like a thief in the night. He's saying, be ready. You don't know. And again, I'm not trying to scare anybody. All I'm trying to do is present it like Peter did. Because this is what he said. And he said in his last words, please, please make sure you're ready. If you bow your heads with me, I'd, I'd just like to ask, is there anyone here that would by your upraised hand say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not ready and I want to get ready. I just want to declare that my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that who would say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm just going to pray and pray with you to ask the Lord to be your Savior. Anybody? Well, I guess that the next question fits all of us then. Because if we've committed to serve the Lord, then I'm wondering, is it time for you to, to reconsider and to recommit? To take advantage of all of the opportunities that you have in front of you every week to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just on Sunday morning, but... Wednesdays and Sunday night and, and every day as you read your Bibles, as you pray and as you seek the Lord, because time is running out, folks, and we need to really get serious. I'd ask you to join with me in this prayer. Lord Jesus. I just want to serve you with all of my heart. I want to grow in you, Lord. I want to, I want to be ready and, and always available to be used by you. I pray for divine appointments. I pray for times when, when, when I can share my faith with people I work with or people I go to school with. Lord, I not only want to be ready, but I want to help others be ready. Because, Lord, I recognize that um, you're not lackadaisical. You are true to your promise. You never fail. And you're always going to be on time. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.